Hi, I'm Cheyenne Cook and I'm the owner of CK Solutions. We specialize in industrial hygiene here in Denver. Stay tuned to hear about how we help clean up the messes others have left behind as we speak with some of our esteemed colleagues and friends. Hello everyone and welcome to CK Solutions Safety Talks. So today we have Kyle Baber. Um, he's the owner of Carlisle Investment Group. Kyle, will you tell us a little bit about Carlisle Investment Group? Sure. Uh, Carlisle Investment Group is a family-owned company, series of companies that is uh, involved in several different as interrelated aspects. So we do our primary uh, focus is on environmental remediation, uh, and that includes asbestos, mold, methamphetamine-contaminated properties, um, asbestos, um, hazardous waste of pretty much any kind. Uh, the second aspect that we do is demolition. Uh, so we can do, you know, structural demolition of property, site preparation. And we also do a lot of interior demolition that either involves hazardous materials or it's just straight clean demolition. Uh, we can do both. Uh, we call it uh, more than demolition, it's deconstruction. So what we try to do is get in ahead of general contractors and cut out components of buildings so that makes it easy. They've easy for them to go in and, uh, you know, put back whatever tenant finish they're going to have. Uh, the third aspect is we do also do restoration on some of our smaller jobs when we do flood cuts or demolish asbestos ceilings, walls, etc. We have a team of, of individuals that can go back in and, and put that material back. So we can do flooring, cabinets, uh, drywall, painting, you know, and finish the property. So we can handle start to finish you know, we can remove the hazardous material, uh, we can demolish what needs to be demolished for a, a tenant finished, and then in some aspects we can put that back. Uh, and then the final thing that we do is uh, we're also involved in real estate investment. So a lot of times these properties that are environmentally compromised have a huge cleanup bill and restoration bill associated with them and some owners can't do it. So we have a program where we can offer to buy properties as is. Uh, we will go in and do the cleanup, do the restoration, and then we will uh, invest, either keep the properties for rentals or we sell them on the open market. Yes, and for those of you that don't know, Carlisle Investment Group is one of our trusted partners. Um, always do great work. Uh, we love working with them. And so it's good to see you again, Kyle. As well as you, yeah. thanks for having me. Uh -huh. So how has CIG or Carlisle Investment Group, uh, how have you guys been going above and beyond on occupational safety hazards? Well, you know, I've been in, I've been in the industry for, you know, 30 plus years. And, you know, obviously we're dealing with very hazardous materials, hazardous situations. And, and I've always had a belief that, you know, safety is a, is a culture that you bring and it, it, it's something that is just woven into the fabric of your, of your employees, of your, uh, of your business. Um, you know, we do extensive training on each and every aspect of what we do. Obviously, we have to have special certifications and training to deal with the hazardous waste industries. You know, the asbestos has its own, the methamphetamine has its own, lead has its own, mold has its own. Um, so we get that. Those have to be refreshed every every year. So we're continually, you know, kept up to date with changes in the industry. Um, other things, you know, just general construction, 
is can be hazardous itself. So, you know, my supervisors are taught and trained to, you know, have daily safety talks uh, regarding, you know, every aspect of slips, trips and falls, hard hats, safety glasses. And then we also have a program where we specifically target certain things. Uh, for instance, when we're working in attics in the summer, um, obviously heat exhaustion, heat stroke is a very important thing. So we really school our, our, our employees on heat exhaustion and what to look out for, uh, how to mitigate it, how to control it. Um, and, you know, my philosophy is safety is not one person's job. Everybody is responsible for their own safety and the safety of everybody they work for. So rather than having a single, you know, safety coordinator or manager that goes around and checks everything, uh, you know, I put it on everybody, you know, you guys show up to work in good health, make sure that you and everybody you're working with goes home in that same condition. And, you know, if you see an unsafe situation, don't pass it off to somebody else, address it, deal with it, you know, and man, safety is an accountability thing. So I make everybody accountable for everybody's safety. And in 30 plus years, I've never had a lost time accident. So um, my EMR is, is very good. Yeah, I love that. Sometimes we talk about safety with other people just out and about, and it seems like they could not care less. So it's good that you're keeping um, everyone that you're working with accountable um, and safe, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so, so that was kind of one of my questions. You, you answered one of them, but I would like you to go a little bit more in depth on it. Um, sure. What are some of the big occupational hazards you see uh, in your day-to-day -day work? Well, like I said, I mean, we're dealing with, uh, you know, pretty much all aspects of construction and, and demolition. And, you know, I kind of got to break it off into kind of, so the hazardous materials that we deal with, man, each and every one of those has its own short-term and long-term consequences. Um, let's take asbestos, for instance. You know, um, there's really no short, the short-term kind of things we have to deal with. We're dealing in enclosed work areas. Uh, there's electricity involved. There's water involved. So you have that constant uh, watch where you got to make sure everything's GFI'd and, you know, water's not getting into the electrical things. You're not blowing breakers and things. So that's, you know, that's a common thing. You know, uh, also a lot of times we're working on ladders and scaffolds and, you know, so people are removing the asbestos and the mold and dropping things down, then people are on the ground, uh, you know, cleaning it up. So you have to be aware of, you know, what's going on in your surroundings so that people aren't walking under scaffolding and getting things dropped on their heads. You know, the long-term consequences of, of some of these things, you know, asbestos carries with it a whole aspect of respiratory diseases. So it's important that these guys, you know, keep their respirators maintained. Uh, we keep filter cartridges appropriate for the contaminant, uh, readily available on site. We have protective clothing uh, and PPE available and it's required on all these sites. So, you know, that's kind of how we deal with the hazardous materials. You get into meth. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different chemical hazards, you know, involved in the precursors, you know, in the meth amphetamine uh, manufacture method. Um, and recently, one of the more things that I'm really hammering people on is, uh, one, you go into these places, you find sharps, you find pipes, you find paraphernalia that is used to, 
uh, inject, smoke, whatever the, the methamphetamine. Well, obviously that carries with it this whole set of issues. You know, you don't want to stick your hand in a pile and get stuck with needles and, and things like that. So we have to be very careful and continually monitor how guys deal with that. Also, we find a lot of times uh, leftover product. Uh, we find bags of methamphetamine, bags of heroin. Um, and recently, man, we're, we're, we're finding a increased incidence in fentanyl in these that they're using to cut the heroin and the methamphetamine with. And fentanyl is a highly toxic uh, substance that even contact with your skin can lead to serious um, health consequences and death. I mean, it doesn't take very much. So, you know, we have to co constantly keep up on that and be able to read and understand laboratory reports and what concentrations these materials are. And, and then in the, in the construction part and the demolition part, I mean, you're dealing with heavy equipment. Uh, you've got to respect the views of the operators. Uh, you, you know, we, we coach our guys on hand signals and how to contact uh, the operators so that, you know, they can't hear. So you've got to use a series of hand signals to get them their attention, uh, trenching, uh, confined spaces. Uh, you know, that's one of the things when I was coming up, confined spaces was something they just send you down into crawl spaces and tunnels and things like that. And uh, I believe that is one of the scariest aspects of what we do. And so confined spaces, crawl spaces, trenches, uh, not only for, you know, oxygen depleted atmospheres, but there's all kinds of gnarly things in, in those kinds of things, spiders, snakes, um, various things that, um, you know, you don't want your employees bitten by and dealt with. So, you know, it's just a, a consciousness of every aspect of what we do involves a potential hazard. And so it's hard to, you know, just sit there and constantly say, okay, well, what is the number one thing? Um, they're all number one. I mean, all of these things can lead to illness. All these things can lead to injury. And many of these things can lead to death, either in the short term or the long term. So let's get back to what I said, you know, that safety is a culture and everybody has to constantly be aware and everybody has to constantly be looking out for, for their people. So, um, you know, there's there's plenty of hazards to deal with. And, and like I said, we try to address the most imminent ones on a daily basis of what they're going to see. But, you know, overall, I mean, everybody gets the gist and, um, you know, we provide them with the tools and the equipment to, to keep themselves and their coworkers safe. So what would you say are the most like dangerous and common kinds that you see? Oh, I would say man confined space. Uh, having somebody go into a, a crawl space or an atmosphere that doesn't have oxygen um, and, you know, you get in there, it doesn't take very long to be deprived of oxygen before you have a man down. So confined space, I would say, is number one. Heat exhaustion in the summertime is, is extremely, especially now, uh, you know, in the dog days of summer when it's 100 degrees. And so we try to, you know, when we're doing attics and things, we try to set the guys in there at 530 in the morning when it's cool. And, you know, I have a temperature cutoff. When that temperature gets above 100 degrees, then we stop for the day uh, and, and don't do it. Uh, you know, electrical hazards are, you know, shocks, fires. Um, yeah, it's really hard to say what the number one is. I, like I said, in my opinion, crawl spaces and confined spaces is the scariest thing to me. Uh, so, uh, I really, uh, 
enforce people going into those spaces. Uh, young, young worker guys will tend to dive off and do things and they don't have that kind of fear. Um, I really harp on that. Confined space and heat exhaustion. I think are the two biggest ones that I worry about. Interesting. That's like not what I would have thought. I would have thought, you know, like just being careful around like, uh, con you know, uh, air, air contaminants, like um, mold or something, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised. It's not well, I mean, those kinds of things like the, the asbestos and the lead and the mold, man, because we do that all the time and everybody is, is trained and tested on respiratory protection, I mean, that just comes second nature. I mean, they go into a building, they put their mask on just like you would put a hard hat on. So, you know, that because of the culture, that has just become part of the day-to-day -day routine. And it's the, you know, the things you do every day all the time you kind of build into your mind a muscle memory for safety. You know, okay, I got to do this. And it's the new things, the things that don't happen all the time that I think are way more dangerous. And that's where it's like, okay, here's a crawl space. Oh, let's go down in here and do this. Whereas you haven't done that and you kind of forget. And that's where uh, injuries and things happen is when it's, it's not in the front, forefront of your brain or it's not a habit yet. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. So I know you said earlier that you um, work with property managers. So what kind of advice can you give to property managers when it comes to environmental hazards? Well, I mean, the first thing that, that I think pro property managers should do and what I see that they're very lax in is they've got to get an internal program of how to address and how to identify what they have. Most property managers, you know, they have apartments and they have a flood or a leak. And the first thing they do is they send their maintenance guys and they're, okay, fix the leak. So they start cutting into walls and cutting, doing, you know, and, and repairing the leak, you know, and dealing with it. But, you know, and then they'll call me, oh, we got some mold. And so I end up showing up and I'm like, okay, well, is this drywall? You know, we got to open some things up. Is this drywall been tested for asbestos? Is the flooring asbestos? Is the ceiling asbestos? Well, we don't know. We don't know. So, you know, what they've done is they've, they put tenants at risk of exposure, their maintenance people are exposure. And then, you know, it adds a huge cost to their properties. Whereas, you know, they, they need to get that. So it's just um, their lack of knowing what environmental hazards they have. And, you know, most property management uh, groups are reactive as opposed to proactive. And there's, there's reasons for that. Um, you know, cost, timing, you know, just, lack of knowledge. And so I have a program where, you know, I offer two hour awareness training to the property managers. You'll come in, sit down with your, with your maintenance team and just go over very briefly uh, in two hours and kind of address, okay, here's what you need to be looking out for. Here's how we get you there. And knowing when to not move forward is probably the best advice I can give to the property managers. All right, we got this thing. Obviously we got to get this turned off. We have water gushing in here, you know, small holes, deal with it, get it mitigated, and then call in, you know, a professional that can come in and assess the environmental hazards because, um, you know, it's not their, their thing. Um, the best thing to do is, you know, obviously survey and inspect your properties for asbestos and lead paint and keep that around so that your maintenance people are aware and know and so that you can address it before it becomes a spill and, you know, you've now you've got an apartment that's been contaminated and 
you know, that sends you down a whole nother rabbit hole of regulations and, you know, responses that is in the long run is way more expensive and costly than the original, you know, inspections and testing. So what would you say is unique about like the Colorado regulations compared to some of the other states? Well, I mean, Colorado has its own regulation. All 50 states are governed under the EPA rules. I know, you know, EPA has a rule that deals with, you know, asbestos, workplace hazards, et cetera, et cetera. You know, OSHA has its own set of rules. Um, very few property managers can, you know, address, you know, if you go to a property manager and go, okay, what's the construct OSHA construction standard that governs your maintenance people? Um, my guess is very few of them are going to be able to tell you which one it is. Um, same with this, but so Colorado, so all states, let's take Wyoming. So Wyoming is an EPA state. They follow the, uh, the EPA hair regulations. That's what you're bound to do. And then the OSHA regulations overlap. So when you go to Wyoming to do an asbestos abatement, you follow those rules and regulations. Those rules and regulations are also in place in Colorado, but Colorado has also placed a state regulation on top of that that is a little more stringent than what an EPA or OSHA would require you to do. So in those regulations, they talk about how much material constitutes a spill, how much material you know you can disturb before you're required to permit it. Uh, it provides for licensing and certifications uh, both at the EPA and state level for companies as well as individuals in the in the uh, in the removal aspect, contracting aspect, and also in the consulting aspect. You know, like CK Solutions has to carry a state license, and their individuals have to be state and EPA certified to perform these activities. So. Um, you, you know, people just can't go in and take a sample and take it down. I mean, there's, there's specific criteria for sampling, for analysis, for response, uh, for management. And it's really, you know, cumbersome for a property management company to do. I mean, it, 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 it would be a full-time position within a housing authority to monitor all those regulations, all the aspects and certifications and training and things. I mean, it's a full-time job. So, you know, they rely on third-party individuals such as CK Solutions and me to, uh, you know, help them identify hazards and then develop response actions and then mitigate those, those hazards. So it's a, it's a complex, thing and you know it it squeezes budgets it squeezes time and you know it's kind of one of those things it's not a problem until it's a problem so so for some of these property managers um i know you also deal with uh like meth contamination how can you tell if your property has been meth contaminated well um one, and, and this goes to property managers too, it's really important that landlords and property managers have a routine inspection of their properties. And, and it, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, so, you know, you need to have routine inspections to make sure people are following the rules from smoking cigarettes to having pets, you know, to have unauthorized persons in their, in their buildings and to make sure that their maintenance and the properties are, are maintained. And if you do that, you know, with meth, I mean, meth contaminated properties happen 
I mean, they can happen right away, but most of them, it's a building up of an addiction. So it starts, it builds, it gets worse, it worse, and it, it just, you know, it, it's a downhill slide. Uh, but there are certain aspects that you can do just observe this. Obviously, you look around for paraphernalia. I mean, there's people doing, uh, entering and coming at odd hours, you know, on a continual basis, people out in cars. Um, a lot of things you see is coverings on the windows, whether they be plastic or tinfoil. Um, you will get, you know, odors in the adjacent apartments when the people are using, if they're smoking, if they're, in, if they're injecting, then not so much. But, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the things that happens with with meth addiction is you can't sleep it causes a, an insomnia so people are up at all times of the hours they call it tweaking so people are tweaking and they're doing weird things they're taking things apart they're loud they're obnoxious and their personalities you know if you know your tenants and you see these personality changes happening uh and they, they become kind of aggressive they become loud they kind of start losing their sense of space and where they are, you know, and, they, and um, they become very solitary and they don't, you know, if you had a tenant that was very friendly and outgoing and talked to you on a regular basis and all of a sudden, man, they're, they're kind of introverted and they're kind of uh, sketchy and they're trying to avoid contact. And then they talk in these grandiose things and become, you know, when I say aggressive, I don't necessarily mean fisticuff aggressive, just, you know, loud and, oh, I want to talk to you and I want to, you know, bring you into these conversations. And you will also, coming with, you know, like meth addiction comes a, a hoarding aspect. I mean, so you start seeing, you know, the biggest thing I look for when I'm driving around at meth houses is indoor furniture outside and outside furniture inside. It's a very strange thing. But uh, once you start seeing furniture going outside uh, and, you know, these kinds of things, um, you know, you just start looking and then, you know, it's a series of things. And, uh, you know, like I say, you'll find the paraphernalia, you'll find the artwork, you know, the, one, one of the things that happens when they're tweaking is a graffiti on the walls. And I've seen some very beautiful artwork and some very beautiful poetry and writings on walls. It's very dark in its content, um, but it's it's there. So, you know, it's one of the things that keeps them, their minds occupied while they're tweaking, while they're on, on the high. And so you'll find a lot of that on the inside. So, you know, if you're doing routine inspections of your property, you can kind of see these things going down and it's, you know, it's being engaged uh, with your tenants, with your properties uh, to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand. Yes, uh, some of these signs are funny that you're speaking of. I was literally driving with my friend the other day and someone had their couches in their um, like front yard. And we're like, is that, like, what's going on here? And uh, I didn't realize that it could be a sign, but um, it's pretty funny. Um, anyway, so, so if a property manager finds, let's say asbestos, uh, mold, methamphetamine usage, um, anything like that in their properties, who do you think they should call? Well, I mean, they could, they, the first thing to call, I mean, they could call me, myself as a contractor, 
or the best thing to call is probably a uh, you know a consultant like CK Solutions because that's the first step. I mean, the first step is always to identify the level and the type of hazard that's available. Once that's done, then I can take those documents and I can build a mitigation program. Uh, now, a lot of times what I'll do is they'll call me and say, hey, I've got a flood, I've got water you know, in my basement, I need some help. So then I can go and respond to that and take care of it and get things stabilized. But then I was like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to call, you need to get some testing done, you need to do this. And then, uh, you know, then we can build a program because you kind of want background levels so that you know what your clearance levels need to be. Uh, so, you know, the first step is to talk with a, with a say, you know, a consultant and then, you know, move to the contracting because I have to have that paperwork anyways. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we love partnering with you, Kyle. Correct. Um, so, so, you know, I think we, we went over a lot today, a lot of really good information. Um, it was good having you on. Um, what are your plans for today? Oh, you know, just getting some proposals out. And then uh, we have uh, some things that the wife and I are going to take care of today. And tonight we're going to a Dwight Yoakam concert. So nice. Nice. And I'm coming to you. What's that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, good talking to you, Kyle. Uh, we'll see you here soon on some of our job sites, and uh, we'll talk later. Great. Say hello to the crowd. Thanks. Bye.